Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Of the goodness. 
will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. The Lord bless thee and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you.
chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be in today. Acts chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. I want to look at what happened after the resurrection with the disciples. Just give you kind of a brief overview of that time uh, with what Jesus tasked them to do, right? And I want to talk about one of the biggest threats to that task, and and that's the weapon of shame. That's where we're going to be looking at. Shame takes us off our task. Oftentimes, that's what we'll be looking at. So after Jesus died and rose again, he appears to the disciples, we know that, and gives them the great commission, right? Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark 6, 16, 15 says, likewise, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That was the call on their lives. That was the commission that Jesus gave them. And it's also the call on our lives today. Go into all the world. Sometimes, some of us think that that doesn't apply to us, though. Maybe we think that that just applies to a certain few who are called to be missionaries and actually go overseas to some faraway land or, or, or some kind of mission field. But I'm here to tell you that applies to each and every one of us. All of us are to go into the world, right, and preach the good news. Go into all the world doesn't necessarily mean geographically, right? This, this could mean um, some of us are called to go into the world of sports, we see ambassadors like Tim Tebow in the world of sports, Kurt Warner, you know. Maybe it's your Little League, though, or, or your sports team. Young people, uh, your world is your school, right? If you, if you go to school, that could be a part of your world. Maybe you're in the world of education. I, I love hearing stories uh, about how our kids are impacting people at school. I love hearing stories about how kids are coming up to our teachers and other people who work in the school systems, and they have those people that they can reach out to, right? And they share the good news with them. God knows we could all use help in the world of government, right? We could use more people in the world of government that are followers of Christ. Uh, But I want us to just realize that we all have a world. We all have a world that we're a part of that God calls us to reach. Where's your world? Well, what do you have in common with somebody? What do you you have a shared interest with someone? That's your world, and you're called to go into it. Maybe you're a realtor. Maybe you work at a grocery store, right? Whatever it is, you're called to go into that world and make a difference. A long time ago, I, I worked fast food, and there was a time where I was a Howard can testify. A little bit of a hellion, all right, in that place. A little stinker. A little stinker, yeah. And then Christ got a hold of me. I was going to church, and I was still that little stinker, but then something happened. A revival happened. I went, and, and God really got a hold of my heart, right? And, and everything changed. And everything changed in how I looked at people that I worked with. I started praying for everybody I worked with. I had a list. And I prayed for them all. I prayed for everybody that came through the drive-thru when I worked drive-thru. 
Every customer that came in, I prayed for, and it changed how I treated people and how I saw people. I wish I could tell you I do that today at my job, but I don't. I need to get back to that place, though. Everybody that comes in there, I want to see them in that light, right? There's a big difference the way I did my job when Christ got a hold of me there and how I saw people. And we need to have that today and how we see people. Who does God bring into our life, right? Who are we working on the assembly line with? Who do we sit down at break with and talk to? Who comes through the doors or wherever we're at? I, wanna, I, I want my life, I want Christ to make me aware that he's bringing people into my path to talk to, to speak to. Not everybody is like that, but I'm sure there are people that I bump into, people that come in that hear, need to hear the good news. We are to go into our worlds and preach the good news. I pray that we see everything as an opportunity to plant seeds, just on how we treat people, right? If we have that mindset, mindset wouldn't it drastically change how we treat people? Like, you know, when you're, when you're kind of burdened by people that come up to you or you're inconvenienced by people that come up to you and want to talk to you, you know, what if that's a God-ordained moment right there? Wouldn't you treat that differently? Lanny was telling me this, this morning about how he went golfing yesterday. And one of the guys he golfed with invited him to his house. And so he goes over to his house, and he's talking to him and his wife, right? And the conversation just happens to turn to God, right? He didn't want to go over to this person's house, right, after when they invited him. But for some reason, he went. And God just happened to turn the conversation to God, to him. That's how it works, right? If we're willing to be inconvenienced, if we're willing to see people as potential, potential new followers of Christ, people maybe potentially that need to be encouraged, Let's ask God to change our hearts, right? I, I believe people that you bump into. I don't believe those happen by chance. I believe there's reasons behind it, that God is bringing those people into our lives for a reason. Well, the disciples started doing that, all right? Started preaching, teaching, sharing Christ to everybody that they knew. And what happened? They start to get persecuted. That's what happens. Jesus told them, hey, the world's going to hate you. He, he prepared them for that. I mean, Jesus was persecuted, right? He was ultimately killed for what he was doing. And he said, hey, if you want to follow after me, there's going to be a cross to bear. There's some tough times coming, some hard situations that you're going to have to, to deal with, right? Hard days, but shine the light. Because that's what we're called to do. God says, us collectively, we are to shine the light. We are the light of the world. He's the light of the world. But after him, he says that actually we, the church, right, are the light of the world. We're called to carry on his work. Jesus tells us that the, the darkness hates the light because the light shows the darkness for what it is, evil. I don't know if you've ever gone to the movies, theaters, and if you've done this, last time we went to the movie theaters, we went in a little bit late, 
and we got in there, and you can't see anything as you're, as you're going in there, and you try and find your way to a seat. Well, one time that happened, we were actually on vacation, and it was this older theater, and we went in there, all right, and so it's dark, we can't see anything, we get, we get to sit down, though, and, and I'm sitting down there like nothing. I'm squirming around in the chair, not thinking about nothing, you know, for, for two hours. I think it was a Marvel movie, so we even stayed for those two extra scenes after the Marvel movie, things that you have to stay for, you, whatever. And then something happened. The light came on, right? And I looked around, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This place is disgusting. <laughs> in that moment, it made... F- it made perfect sense while my, why my feet were sticking to the ground. It looked like nobody had cleaned that place in a week. And here I was, I'm sitting in it. I'm relaxing in it. I'm not thinking uh, you know, anything about it. That, that's all of us when we're in darkness. The moment that the light comes, it shows us what's really going on. It shows us really just how crappy that situation is right? The light shows the darkness for what it is. And if your life is shining the light and you come around people in darkness, right, it's, it's probably going to upset them though. It's probably going to upset them. Chances are they're not going to like it. That's just going to happen. And that's just something that we need to be prepared for. And, and hopefully we do this. Hopefully we do this. Hopefully when we bring the light, we bring the truth we do so with grace, right, and compassion, and we do it out of love, and we're not the ones that are pointing the fingers and, and talking about how horrible a person you are. Share the truth, right, but do it with grace, do it with compassion. Even if you do that, though, even if you have the best intentions, sometimes you're going to find that persecution. It's just a fact, right? The darkness hates the light. Well, in Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, this is what it looks like. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all of the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. And as a result, if you keep reading, the people started to believe as the light came. And as that happened... So came the opposition. Acts 5, 17. The high priests and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. If you, if you keep reading on, and I would suggest that you read this whole chapter, you see that the high priest and his officials convened with the high council right after this. The, the full assembly of elders of Israel. And they send for the apostles, right? And much to their shock, much to the jailer's shock, they're not there. And then almost comedically, somebody comes in and says, hey, you know those guys that you, you locked up, they're, they're actually still in the temple preaching and teaching. So lacking any imagination, they arrest them again and bring them before the high council. They bring them before the same group that voted to have Jesus executed, right? All all but two, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. But the council confronts the apostles, and he says to them in verse 28, 
We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. Which name? The name, right? His name. We know his name gets a reaction from people. Isn't that interesting? You can, you can talk about God, generic God. You can talk about the man upstairs. You can talk about some force. But the moment you mention the name of Jesus, it takes a turn. Right? People start to get offended. It brings forth a response. But that shouldn't surprise us one bit. Right? That shouldn't surprise us one bit because we're told that he is given the name above all names. Right? The name that causes demons to tremble. It's the same name that we instinctively call out. We, even when we swear, it's the name that we take. Right? It's the only name given in which men can be saved. Right? Why, why would we be surprised if there's opposition to that? They said the same thing our culture says. Right? We don't want you teaching in that name. Then they went on to say, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. Praise God. And you want to, you want to make us responsible for his death. I don't know about if you get that, how, how kind of comical that is. But just like two months before, they were standing in front of Pilate asking for his death, asking for him to be crucified. They're stirring up the crowd, right? Crucify him. And Pilate's like, do you want me to crucify your king? And what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. Pilate washes his hands of it. And what do the people say? Let this be on us. And our children. That, that, that's scary right there. Now, now we're saying, now they're saying, you, you want to make us responsible for his death? Yeah, because you are responsible, right? You stirred up the crowd. You asked for it. I love Peter's response, though, and the other apostles. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than any human authority. I pray we all hear this today. We must obey God rather than any human authority. If, if, if man's laws is opposed to God's laws, we are God's laws, people. No matter what the consequences are, that's what we're called to. And, and sometime soon, we're all going to be faced with the decision and who we're going to follow. Do you follow man's laws or do you follow God's laws? I hope and pray we all care about, more about God's laws than man's laws when they're in opposition to each other. So many Christians cower right? Cower and afraid to stand up to not, not only man's laws, but man's opinion. We can't be that way. Verse 30, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. You killed him by hanging him on a cross. I love, love Peter. He's direct, right? Then God put him in a place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. Underline, if you're an underliner, underline the word witnesses there, right? They didn't hear about these things. They witnessed these things, and they testify to us today. And most of them paid for that testimony, except for John, with their deaths. This is what they believed. This is what they testify to. This is what they witnessed and what they share with us. Verse 33, when they heard this, the high council was furious. And guess what? 
and decided to kill them. Did I mention they have no, no creativity, right? They, they plotted to kill them. This is their playbook. They have like a big NFL playbook, and it's a three-ring binder, and it's filled with a bunch of pages, but there's only two plays. Kill them or flog them. That's their playbook. Well, what do we do? Well, let's kill them, right? But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in the religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Gamaliel, if you remember from a sermon a couple weeks ago, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the one that Paul bragged about that he studied under this person. Everybody looked up to him. And he sees where this is going, and he calls a timeout. Just, just want to point out here, just a little bit of a tangent. When things are getting crazy, tempers start to flare, right? I had an episode yesterday, Cutting Wood, where I could have used this advice. It's always a good idea, though, to call a timeout. Just call a timeout. Just step away. Great marriage advice. Great parenting advice. We don't make good decisions in those moments, right? We always almost always say something dumb because we're not in our right mind. That's what we say. We're not in our right mind. And there's a truth to that. I don't know about you in these situations, but after these situations, after I get away from them, I always think of the perfect thing that I should have said. The perfect comeback, how what I said was not the good thing to say, right? I wish I wouldn't have said that. But that's because you're out of your prefrontal cortex where that's all the good decision-making come place, and you're in some other area of your brain, and that's where the, the not-so-good things come from. That's why when you step away from those situations, after you get out of those situations and you come back, you, you get back into that good decision-making place. And that's why you're always then able to think about all the good things that you, you should have said, Right? I could give you an example of something that Adivy and I fought about. I think it was early this week, right? But I am in my good prefrontal cortex place where I'm making good decisions, and I'm not going to share that, right? (laughs) Take a minute. Take a break. All right, verse 35. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do with these men. Some time ago, there was the fellow Thutis who pretended to be someone great. Anybody remember hearing about Thutis? No, okay. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and his followers went their various ways. The whole government came to nothing. The whole movement, I'm sorry, came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot. Anybody know or remember Judas of Galilee? He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone, let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. What, what happened was the, the moment those first two guys were mentioned, those first two guys died their movements died with them, right? They were not born of God. That's why we don't know who they are today. But today, we do know who Jesus Christ is, right? Almost 2,000 years later, we're still celebrating. We're still praising God in his name. So they listened to his advice, had the disciples beaten, and again, um, they told them, 
don't preach or teach in Jesus' name. Get this. The apostles left praising God that they were worthy to suffer that in Jesus' name. What if we had that kind of mindset when we get into those arguments with people and we come, there's people that come against us and put us down, right, for what we believe? What if, what if we just, instead of going back at them, we just praise God that we're among the people that are persecuted, right? What if we just saw them as Christ sees them? Oh, and they continued to preach every day about Jesus. And the church, us, has continued that for 2,000 years, right? That message, the, the good news, continues to impact our yesterday, our tomorrow, and our today. Our yesterday is filled with redemption, right? It's filled with the forgiveness of sins. You don't have to look back at your past the same way you did with all those sins when they were in your life, right? All those things that separated you from God, they were taken care of on the cross. It impacts your tomorrow because Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death, so we need not fear it. The more the world tries to stamp out Christianity, the more it grows. Tertullian said, the blood of Christians functions as seeds. The blood of Christians functions as seeds. It's kind of like episode four of Star Wars. You can strike me down, right? But you're just going to make me more powerful. When we see martyrs, doesn't it embolden our faith? When we see people take a stand, it emboldens us. It it gives us a resolve. It wakes us up from our slumber, our daydreaming, right? It reminds us of just how temporary this world is and everything in it. There are many rooms in my father's house and I go there to prepare a place for you, for those that put their faith in him. In the light of the gospel, tomorrow becomes full of hope. Today, today, the gospel gives today purpose. There are people that are in our worlds that don't know there is a God who loves them, who died for them, who wants to have a relationship with them. There are women today that just learned they're pregnant right? And they are scared. They have fear. Maybe they're desperate. They, they're thinking, how in the world am I going to make it through this? Maybe they're full of shame. And they need to know there are people that will help them, not only help them, but will lock roots with them, that will stand them, that will just be there with them every step of the way and help them get through this. They need to know that they don't have to do it alone. God can give them a, a second family. Maybe their family has rejected them. God can give them a second family, right? A church family to help them out. Are there not millions of people still trapped in slavery today? Are there not people still trafficked today? Does no one go hungry? No. My point is, there's still work to be done There's work to be done in your world. There's a kingdom to be advanced. You have a purpose in your world to to go into it and preach the good news. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter what your past is, right? There's still that potential. There's still that call that's on your life. I'm here to tell you that there's more to your salvation maybe than you realize right now. You have a purpose. You have a job to do. You have lives to impact. 
And today, I want to warn you of one of the things that is a major way, a major weapon that the enemy used to get, into way, get in the way of that, and that is shame. Don't let shame get in your way. I'm here to tell you that Jesus died and rose and purchased your freedom from shame. We all know that, right? But I want you to get that deep down. I want you to understand it, right? Because it will affect your yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There are too many Christians today that are cowering, that are hiding because of their shame. There are too many Christians today that have had their sins forgiven. They know about that. They know there's a purpose in their life, but shame is keeping them hidden. Matthew 5.14 says, you You, as in collectively, are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Shame robs us of our call to be light bearers. That's who you are. You are a light bearer called to bring the light to everyone in the house. And my friends, sometimes that's the most difficult. Sometimes that's where we feel the most shame. Shame says, hide the light. Hide it underneath that basket. I don't think I have to tell anyone in here about shame. We've all experienced it, right? Shame says whatever it can to you so that you keep your light hidden. Shame will tell you you're not a good speaker. You aren't good at helping people. You're, you're the divorced person, right? You're the person that had an abortion. You're poor. You aren't a smart person. And, and here's why shame is so hard to deal with. It challenges your identity. That's what it does. How you see yourself. Any, any parents know shame, Right? I know there are things that I've done with my kids, and I'm like, oh, I hate myself, right, for those things. I'm not a good parent. That's what shame tells us. Look at all the ways that I've failed. It attaches to your identity. Notice, nothing of this has anything to do with forgiveness, though. It doesn't. Shame is not guilt. You can have forgiveness, your guilt removed, but still be walking in shame. You see, guilt is based on activity. Shame is attached to, attached to identity, how you see yourself. She, guilt is a legal standing. Shame is who you are. Shame tells you you're unworthy of love. Look at the state that you're in. You're unworthy of love. You're unworthy of forgiveness. When the disciples abandoned Jesus, right, in his time of need, shame doesn't say you, you did something cowardly. It says you are a coward. How could you be the type of person to run from your Lord and Savior, right? That's what shame does. You're the worst person in the world. You let Jesus down. Shame primarily comes from three, pay, three places. Things that we've done can bring us shame, right? And then We live in a broken world, so sometimes horrible things are done to us that unfortunately are out of your choice, right, but can still bring shame because that's what the enemy does. 
even when you didn't choose that, what happened to you can still bring shame into your life. Also because life is a, a broken place, right? Sometimes people are born with birth defects, and that can bring shame as well. When shame forms your identity, the number one thing that it wants you to do, though, is to hide. It tells you to hide. Maybe for some of you, the reason that you don't volunteer is maybe you don't think you're good enough. Or, or maybe you're not worthy to be a part of what God is doing. You don't believe that God could use someone like you to share their faith. You're too damaged. You've messed up too many times. You ain't smart. Shame says hide. Do you remember the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? What did they do? They hid, right? Do you remember before that happened, when shame was used or a variation of shame, Adam and Eve standing naked before each other, standing naked together, unashamed, right? But the moment they sinned, they felt the need to hide. Hide from who? God, right? That's what we do. When we're living, when we're carrying that shame, uh, we can't go into God's presence. I'm just going to hide from him. Maybe hide in a bottle. That's what my dad did for decades. Shame will not stop until it kills you. It will take you to that place. It will try to kill you. And that's what it did to my dad. I've seen studies that, that tie shame to all sorts of addictions. I've also seen studies that tie shame to depression. That's an interesting thought. The good news is, though, that Christ shouldered your shame as he died. Amen? He faced shame. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Another verse says, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My friends, he didn't just take the physical abuse of the cross, right? The nails, the whips, the beating, the mockery. He also took the shame. And, he said, and it says he scorned it. He hated it. He despised it, right? Jesus hates shame, pure and simple. Right now, Jesus hates that you still carry shame, and it dictates who you are instead of who you really are. He despises your shame because of what it says to you. He despises it because it makes you feel unworthy because he knows your true identity, right? That's not what shame speaks My friends, listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you. You If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that Spirit calls you a child of God. Right? He loves you enough to discipline you. That, That might not sound very appealing to some of us, right? But when you see that in the light, He loves you enough to discipline you and correct you. Find your worth in that even while we are sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. That's why I love Easter. I'm so grateful for what he did on the cross, 
for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I'll explain that even a little bit here in a minute. But his resurrection proves to me, to everyone else, that everything that he said was true. Everything that's said to me, to you personally, it's true. In the book of Joshua, right before you see the Israelites come out of bondage in Egypt, they went through the Red Sea, right? That's a, that's a picture of baptism. Then they moved towards the wilderness, you remember, which is a picture of enduring and all that God has for us. But before, before they got to the wilderness, they had to cross the Jordan River, which is a picture of the next step of growing. And I think that's where all of us need to see today and be reminded of if you don't know this. This is a picture of right before they could become rooted. Right before they could really grow, get freed from strongholds, and, and, and free from having to, to listen to shame. Joshua 5.9 5, 9 says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. At Gilgal, shame was rolled away. What else do you know that was rolled away? Immediately I think of the stone, right? The stone that was meant to keep Jesus hidden. That's what shame does. It's meant to keep you hidden. That's the enemy, how the enemy uses it. That stone was meant to keep Jesus hidden. Out of play. But the stone was rolled away. Amen? Your shame can today be rolled away if you allow him to do that. You can be set free. You can find your confidence in Christ and who you are in him. My friends, we, we just celebrated Easter. Jesus took away your shame. He took our shame. He took it to the cross, right? And when the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out of that grave, he didn't have that shame with him. It was gone. We need to remember that. It was dealt with. It was rolled away. Isaiah 61 is an amazing passage. Go home and read it today. It speaks prophetically about the ministry of Jesus and how he will free us. And he tells us what we can expect in verse 7. He says, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. The, the language here is the language of jubilee, right? Every seventh year was a special year, but after seven sevens, there was the 50th year, and that was the year of jubilee. The priest, the priest would blow a trumpet and oh, what a year it would be. It would be a year of freedom. It was a year of celebration like no other for the entire year. It was what I found most interesting, a year of restoration. If you had some family land, right, and times got tough and you had to sell that land to pay off some debt, that land would be returned to your family. It's pretty amazing. If you had become a servant, to work off a debt, you would be freed, right? Any debts that you had were canceled in the year of Jubilee. And the whole point of the concept of Jubilee was to point to Christ after the resurrection, where he came out of the grave, because it was a new way to live. He, it was foreshadowing that. Could you imagine what this would be like today? You got a mortgage? You got a car payment. You got student debt. Can you imagine this year it's gone, right? How would that change? What if everything that you had that was taken from you 
maybe your innocence, right? What if that was completely restored? Oh, what a year that would be, right? Could you imagine that freedom? That points to what we have right now in Christ. Every year today in Christ, it's pure freedom, right? Freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, freedom from sin. Every day we should be reminded our debts are paid. They're covered, right? When we are in Christ, there is forgiveness. That shame has no place in our identity. No, you are a new creation because of what what Christ did. And no matter what shame says about you, your identity, you can be rooted in the fact that you are a born-again believer. You are a new creation. You are a child of God. The old has gone, right? And the new has come. Would you stand with me? My friends, I, I pray that you find freedom from shame if it's something that you're carrying on. I pray that you're able to unattach it from your life and to find the freedom in Christ. My, my friends, let us never be the people that cause other people to feel shame. We speak truth, right? We don't back down from that. But never let us change how we see people. They are potential followers of Christ. They are potential brothers and sisters. We care about them. We care about their souls. We don't want to heap shame on them. No, we want to tell them that there was someone who died and they can be free of it. And that's how we should treat people today, right? We all have opportunities for that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that, that you're not a God that heaps shame. Lord, you didn't, you didn't heap shame on the disciples. You just restored them. Father, help us to have that same, that same attitude with people in our lives. Father, I pray if there's anybody in here struggling with something, maybe that was done to them, or maybe from choices that they made, Father, would you just give them freedom from this? Father, would you just help them to, to live in the resurrection? The freedom that comes from it, Lord, would you just remove this from their lives? Would you help them to see themselves as you see them? And would you help us to see people as you see them as well? Father, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen.